from Astoria to the Rockaways, it's time for the Queen's New Yorker. And here is the man giving you all the info, your uber snazzy and jazzy host, Mr. Jason DeCanio! Jason Kelly. Oh, what a group. Thank you. Wow. Oh, you're too kind. Thank you very much. Ah, wow. Whoa. <laughs> yes, thank you. Oh, you're too kind. And another cordial welcome once again to the Queens, New Yorker. We're always glad that you are with us here on our new home, which is Anchor and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, eight platforms. We thank you very much for it. And another episode here ready to start. This is episode number 133, if you're keeping track. We're on our series of Bridges and Tunnels. We are on the East River. And we're covering all of the East River bridges, and then we'll keep going as we progress down here. So the, the series on bridges and tunnels, just like transportation, it's going to be a long one. This is part two of the, the one of the bridges we're already covering. As you know, part one was on Tuesday of the Triborough Bridge. And give it up for the Triborough Bridge, part two. Yeah. All right. So, just so for all those people out there who love to contribute to the show, and I know there are people out there who are listening, uh, we are going to put a link up that takes you to the support part of it. For $0.99, cents, $4.99, or $9.99, that's what, a dollar? almost for the price of a cup of coffee, a Starbucks, or possibly $10 could get you something at Dunkin' Donuts, you could support this show on a monthly basis and keep us going and the great programming that it takes to make these things run. So we'll put the link in the description for you. Uh, Last Tuesday's episode, or this past Tuesday's episode, got a whopping 15 plays. But so far, you guys are tackling the legacy episodes really nice. Uh, 21, 34, and 36, respectively. Episode 131 uh, of the Queensboro Bridge got a whopping 62 plays. So I guess it just depends on who wants to listen to what. But as long as you guys are listening... And we're targeting the Facebook groups. You're out there. You're on the chopping block right now. You guys are responsible for taking the responsibility of this show and making it yours. And we're doing everything we can for it. We thank you for your continued support. And if you like, I said before, if you'd like to contribute a monthly donation of $0.99, cents, $4.99, or $9.99, you can do that. And the link will take you there. You can sign up and start making some great vested interest contributions to the Queens New Yorker. With that in mind, we're going to pick up where we left off, folks. 
we were in the initial efforts of the Triborough Bridge, and we picked up right here, and we're going to go with part two. So the War Department gave its approval to the Bronx Kills East River and Little Hellgate spans in late April of 1930 after construction was already underway on the Queen's suspension span across the East River. Now, a week later, the War Department also approved the Harlem River span with another amendment. And the span was now a movable lift bridge, which could be raised to allow maritime traffic to pass. Shortly afterward, a special mayoral committee sanctioned a $5 million expenditure for the Triborough Project. And in July of 1930, $5 million bond issued to fund the Triborough Bridge's construction was passed. Plans for an expressway to connect to the bridge's Queen's End were also filed in July of 1930. And this later became the Brooklyn-Queens Expressway, which was connected to the bridge via the Grand Central Parkway. There were also proposals for an expressway to connect to the Bronx end of the bridge along Southern Boulevard. Robert Moses, the Long Island State Parks Commissioner, wanted to expand Grand Central Parkway from its western terminus at the time, Union Turnpike and Kew Gardens, Queens, northwest to the proposed bridge. The Brooklyn-Queens Expressway proposal, which would create a highway from the Queens end of the bridge to Queens Boulevard in Woodside, Queens, was also considered. A contract to build the suspension anchorage on Ward's Island was awarded in January of 1939. At the time, progress on the bridge approaches was proceeding rapidly, and it was expected that the entire Triborough Bridge complex would be completed in 1934. By August of 31. It was reported that the Wards Island anchorage was 33% completed and that the corresponding anchorage of, on the Queen's side was 15% completed. Work on drainage dikes as well as contracts for bridge approach piers were also progressing. A report the next month indicated that the overall project was 6% completed and that another $2.45 million in contracts was planned to be awarded over the following year. In October... Contracts for constructing the bridge piers were advertised. And by December of 1931, the project was 15% completed. The city was accepting designs for the Queen's Spans suspension towers, the granite foundations in the water near each bank of the East River, which would support the suspension towers, were completed in early or mid-1932. And at the time, there were no funds to build six additional piers on Randall's Island, and one in Little Hellgate, nor were there funds to build the suspension towers themselves. Now, the Great Depression severely impacted the city's ability to finance the Triborough Bridge's construction. City Comptroller Charles W. Berry had stated in February of 1930 that the city was in sound financial condition, even though other large cities were nearing bankruptcy. However, the New York City government was running out of money by that July, the Triborough Project's outlook soon began to look bleak. Chief Engineer Othmar Aman was enlisted to help guide the project, but the combination of Tamane Hall graft, the stock market crash, and the Great Depression, which followed it, brought the project to a virtual halt. Investors shied away from purchasing the municipal bonds needed to fund it. By the spring of 1932, the Triborough Bridge project was moribund. As part of the $213 million in cuts to the city's budget, Berry wanted to halt construction on the span in order to avoid the $43.7 million budget shortage 
by the end of that year. With no new contracts being awarded, the chief engineer of the Department of Plant and Structures, Edward A. Byrne, warned in March of 1932 that construction on the Triborough Bridge would have to be halted. Though Queensboro President Harvey objected to the impending postponement of the bridge's construction, the project was still included in the $213 million worth of budget cuts. Following this, Goldman submitted a proposal to fund the planning stages for the remaining portions of construction so that work could resume immediately once sufficient funding was available. In August of 1932, Senator Robert F. Wagner announced that he would ask for a $26 million loan from the federal government, namely President Herbert Hoover's Reconstruction Finance Corporation, so there could be funds for the construction of both the Triborough Bridge and the Queens Midtown Tunnel. Queensboro President Harvey also went to the RFC to ask for funding for the bridge. Soon after, the RFC moved to prepare the loan for the Triborough Bridge project. However, when Mayor Walker resigned suddenly in September of 1932, his successor, Joseph V. McKee, refused to seek RFC or other federal aid for the two projects, stating, If we go to Washington for funds to complete the Triborough Bridge, where would we draw the line? Governor Al Smith agreed, saying that such requests were unnecessary because the bridge could pay for itself. Harvey continued to push for federal funding for the Triborough Bridge, prioritizing its completion over other projects such as the development of Jamaica Bay in southern Queens. Civic groups also advocated for the city to apply for RFC funding. February 1933. A nine-person committee appointed by Lehman and chaired by Moses applied to the RFC for a $150 million loan for projects in New York State, including the Triborough Bridge. However, although the RFC favored a loan for the Triborough Project, the new mayor, John P. O'Brien, banned the RFC from giving loans to the city. Instead, O'Brien wanted to create a bridge authority to sell bonds to pay for the construction of the Triborough Bridge as well as for the Queens Midtown Tunnel. Robert Moses was also pushing the state legislature to create an authority to fund, build, and operate the Triborough Bridge. A bill to create the bridge authority, or the TBA, passed quickly through both houses of the state legislature and was signed by Governor Herbert H. Lehman that April. The bill included a provision that the authority could sell up to $35 million in bonds and fund the remainder of construction through bridge tolls. George Gordon Battle, a Tammany Hall attorney, was appointed as chairman of the new authority and three commissioners were appointed. Shortly after the TBA bill was signed, the War Department extended its deadline for the Triborough Bridge's completion by three years to April 28th of 1936. Lehman also signed bills to clear land for a bridge approach in the Bronx and he promised to resume construction of the bridge. That May, the TBA asked for the RFC for a $35 million loan to pay for the bridge. The RFC ultimately agreed in August to grant $44.2 million to be composed of a loan of $37 million as well as a $7.2 million subsidy. However, the loan would only be given under a condition that 18,000 workers be hired first so that the city's board of estimate voted to hire 18,000 to work on the Triborough Project. The funds for the bridge, as well as the Lincoln Tunnel from Manhattan to Jersey, were ready for the beginning, and they were ready by September. 
So the city purchased land in the path of the Triborough Bridge in September of 1933, and construction on the Triborough Bridge resumed that November. By January of 1934, contracts were being prepared for the completion of the suspension span and the construction of the other three spans. One of these contracts included the construction of the bridge's piers. Families living in the path of the bridge's approaches protested against the eviction notices given to them. The construction of the Triborough Bridge across Little Hellgate also required the demolition of hospital buildings on Randall's and Ward's Islands. Work on land clearing for the bridge began that April, and the New York City Department of Hospitals later decided to apply for funds to build the Seaview Hospital on Staten Island, which would house the hospital facilities displaced by the Triborough Bridge. February 1934, the TBA contemplated condensing the Queen's Span 16-lane double-deck roadway into an eight-lane single-deck road, as well as simplify the suspension tower's designs in order to save $5 million. With a 16-lane capacity, the span would have been able to carry 40 million vehicles a year. But this was not projected to be reached until 40 years after the bridge's opening. So in April, a new plan was approved that would reduce the bridge's cost from $51 million to $42 million so the subsidy could pay for the bridge's entire cost. Chief Engineer Ammon had decided to collapse the original design's two-deck roadway into one, requiring lighter towers and lighter piers. The steel company constructing the towers challenged the TBA's decision in an appellate court, but the court ruled in favor of the TBA. And during this time, the TBA was in turmoil. By January of 1934, one of the TBA's commissioners had resigned, and New York City Mayor Fiorello H. LaGuardia was trying another TBA commissioner, John Stratton O'Leary, for corruption. As a result, Public Works Administration Administrator Harold L. Ikes refused to distribute more of the RFC grant until the existing funds could be accounted for. After O'Leary had been removed, LaGuardia appointed Moses to the position. After O'Leary's removal, Ikes gave the city $1.5 million toward the bridge's construction. Moses became the chairman of the TBA in April of 1934 after a series of interim chairmen had held the post. Moses leveraged his leadership of the authority as well as the state and city positions he also held to expedite the project. The first major construction contract after Moses gained control of the TPA was awarded in May of 1934 for the construction of an approach highway to the Queen's span. Moses continued to advocate for new roads and parkways to feed into the bridge. The complex of roads included the Grand Central Parkway and Astoria Boulevard in Queens, 125th Street, the East River Drive, now the FDR Drive, and the Harlem River Drive in Manhattan and Whitlock Avenue at Eastern Boulevard, which is now the Bruckner Expressway in the Bronx. All these roads would be part of an interconnected parkway system that would allow cars to move smoothly through the New York City area. Civic groups also wanted a road from the West Bronx to connect to the bridge, but it was rejected. The first of, these ro of those roads, the Grand Central Parkway extension from Kew Gardens to the Triborough Bridge, was planned to start construction in spring of 1934. Further changes to the plan for the Bronx span came in July of 1934. Instead of 
being a lift bridge, as originally proposed, it was approved by the Department of War as a fixed truss span since the Bronx Kill was not a navigable waterway. However, it could be replaced with a lift bridge if needed. The same month, the city approved construction for the first segment of the East River Drive leading from York Avenue and 92nd Street to the Triborough Bridge approach at 125th Street. The bridge approach on the Bronx side was finalized, running along southern and eastern boulevards with a future extension to Pelham Bay Park in the northeastern Bronx. The Board of Estimate approved the East River Drive approach that October while voting against the proposed West Bronx approach highway. And while reformers embraced Moses' plans to expand the parkway system, state and city officials were overwhelmed by their scale and slow to move to provide financing for the vast system. Partial funding came from interest-bearing bond issued by the Triborough Bridge Authority to be secured by future toll revenue. Financing disputes with the PWA involved complex political infighting between Moses, Ikes, and now President Roosevelt, and Mayor LaGuardia. The political disputes peaked in January of 1935 when Ikes passed a rule that effectively prohibited PWA funding for the TBA unless Moses resigned the post of either TBA chairman of New York City Parks Commissioner. And this came as a result of Moses' criticism that New Deal funding programs like the PWA were too slow to disperse funds. Ike's threatened to withhold salaries for TBA workers as well. And though LaGuardia was supportive of Moses, even petitioning Roosevelt to intervene, he was willing to replace the TBA chairman if it resulted in funding for the bridge, since Roosevelt sided with Ike's. In mid-March, Ike suddenly backed down on his ultimatum, and not only was Moses allowed to keep both of his positions, but also the PWA resumed its payments to the TBA. And we will stop there and pick up on part three with significant progress and the big opening of our Triborough Bridge. Yes. Oh, beautiful. What a nice history so far. Mm -hmm. All right, so part three will be on Saturday, the 17th, episode 134 for all of you who are keeping up with us. We hope you have a great rest of the week here. Join us on Saturday for that episode 134. I'm Jason Accounting, and remember, folks, be honest, be real, keep it simple, stupid, kiss, and always tell the truth. Thank you for joining us here on Anchor and all of the eight platforms. We'll see you Saturday on the Queens, New Yorker, right here on Anchor, and of course, <laughs> all of the other platforms. We'll see you Saturday. Have a great day. Bye for now. You have been watching The Queen's New Yorker. This is Jason Kelly on a Jason DeCanio internet presentation. Thank you for your support.
Thank you.